Welcome, everybody. It's time again for Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. Let's get things started with your host, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. And to kind of give you a little idea of how the show works, essentially the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who uh, care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So on this show, we really dive into talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that uh, makes sense. And uh, the word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world. And this show really looks to explore those two areas. Specifically with my guest today, we really will be splitting that one, that uh, those two versions up uh, very, very well. My guests generally include CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, HR executives from all, all different industries. Occasionally we have on authors, coaches, all sorts of great people that can really help us dive into that uh, those ideas around talent. So... Generally what happens is I'm out at networking events and industry conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting some really inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you uh, who are tuning in live, but don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Give us uh, whatever great questions, suggestions, or anything else you want to say. Maybe if you thought something, uh, some great advice was given, uh, any feedback you have, we'd love to hear it. You just uh, tweet at PeopleG2 and use the hashtag TalentTalk, uh, all one word. My producer, Mike, can feed me the best questions. And, of course, any other feedback or ideas that you send over our way, we'll, we'll take a look at during the week. Don't forget, you can also listen to this show via our podcast on iTunes or Android or anywhere else you pick up podcasts. Uh, and you can subscribe to have that weekly show uh, come right, show up right there on your phone or your iPad, your tablet, uh, with over 27,000 listeners per week right now on our podcast feed. You can join them and, and listen in on the car, on the treadmill, at your kids' soccer practice like I do, or wherever else you'd like to listen to your podcast. So with that uh, said, let's get today's show started. My guests today include Mike Letizia. Uh, the state director of Cal Sherm and principal consultant of Letizia uh, HR Solutions, and Christina Daves, president of Castmatic Designs. Christina will be joining me this uh, later on in the show, but now let's get to our first guest, Mike. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your, your consulting that you're doing, and uh, also as well as your position at the as state director for Cal Sherm. I am a Human resource professional, I've been in the profession for 30 years, started actually in human resource development and uh, sort of metamorphosized um, to a generalist as the years went by, and now I'm a full-scope HR person. The last 18 years, I have spent um, with two companies up here in Northern California, an internet service provider for nine and a half years, and a a small community bank for another nine years. So um, at the end of my career at the small community bank, which no longer is a small community bank, I decided to step out on my own to open my own uh, consulting business. I have a great, um, I have a great feel for small to medium sized business, which is the majority of my clients. And I've been a volunteer with Sherm for 14 years, so I've built quite a substantial network of peers and colleagues and uh, felt that this was a good time to uh, put my talent up there for more than one employer. And for maybe the the one or two percent of people listening who don't know what SHRM is, and specifically CalSHRM, maybe you could explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. They are the largest global human resource organization in the world with about 275,000 members in 140 countries. It, it, within their structure, within Sherm's um, structure here in America, each state in the union um, has a council that is comprised of both directors that assist in core leadership areas and um, local chapter presidents who are members of the council so that what local chapters are doing 
in their local communities gets fed up to a state level, and then the state actually feeds that up to a regional level, which then gets fed up to the national level and the global level for SHRM. It's a very nice infrastructure, uh, making sure that SHRM as an organization keeps in touch with those members that are on the ground, but through different layers of um, volunteers, we're all volunteers, do a lot in California when it comes to promoting the profession, helping the profession. We have approximately 20,000 um, SHRM members that are here in the state, and um, other statistics show that there are far more HR practitioners that we're also trying to reach out to. Well, and it uh, was no surprise to me when you said you had been in HR for, I think you said, 30 years. And when I, the reason I say that is that so many of our guests that are HR consultants, directors, practitioners, wherever you, they, they sit on that spectrum, they seem to have gotten into HR at an early stage in their career and, and stay with it. Maybe there are some other careers out there that follow that same path, but I, I really can't think of any where the type of person who gets into HR that loves it so much and sticks with it for, for the entirety of their career, uh, regardless of, of what their title might be or, or how they might uh, interact w- with that medium, I guess. Um, it, it really seems to be something that is very, very core, very, very common among our guests uh, on the show that uh, they have such a longevity in their career. So uh, congrats to you for, for, for that uh, for that, that time frame and uh, contributing into probably so many different companies and employees over that time. Thank you very much. I It, it is it is my passion. I love it, um, and it is not a job. Truly, it is a career. It's a part of my life. It's not something I go to and leave and come back from. It, it's a part of me. It's a part of who I am. So, so now that you've moved into this uh, consultancy you know, sort of phase of your career, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you, you're seeing that companies are facing today uh, in the area of HR? You know, in the clients that I cater to, which, again, are the small to medium-sized businesses that don't really have an HR presence, and so they're looking for the help specifically, what I find is that so many small business owners, so many office managers, people who have been sort of put in charge of an HR responsibility but have no uh, practical background in human relations or human resources, um, are not able to manage effectively. They're not getting the results that they want. They're not seeing the productivity that they want. The vision that they have for their businesses um, isn't necessarily coming to pass, and they're frustrated and they're um, in a quandary because they don't understand why they're not getting what it is they need to get out of people. And truly, when you when you go in and you start helping them understanding effectively managing people, effectively um, managing their human relations and identifying um, engaged employees versus just satisfied employees. It's amazing what kind of progress we, we can make and to see the um, results change in a relatively short period of time, actually. And that probably is the biggest challenge for me personally. I'm, I'm being called upon usually when these people are at a point where they're frustrated and they just don't know what else to do and now they're looking for a resource to come in and sort of give them some guidance. Sure, sure. So, you know, maybe you can uh, describe uh, maybe one of your most rewarding consulting experiences then uh, when you knew maybe those challenges that some of the ones you're talking about or the strategic plans that you help lay out are really going to help the company moving forward. You know, actually, I do have, um, I have a client that I started working with in December of last year, a small employer, 12 employees, um, a professional organization um, with licensed professional people working in, within the organization. This particular uh, business was being run by a professional um, in a completely different field. There was a lot of frustration because the staff um, weren't, weren't seeming to hit the mark. They weren't getting the uh, sense of urgency. They weren't understanding the priorities. They weren't understanding um, the need for certain levels of service and certain um, certain things. And so when I first went in and spoke uh, with them, what I noticed was they had an extremely poor infrastructure. Uh, there were not formalized policies in place that were comprehensive. They had some things put together, but they weren't really comprehensive. There were no, there were no formal job descriptions. People that were there didn't truly understand what was expected of them. 
They kind of understood I have to do a bunch of things but didn't really understand specific expectations. There were no specific goals. There were no specific strategies. Procedures and processes were not outlined or detailed. People were kind of hired and thrown into something with an expectation that a human being will just, I guess, guess the right way um, to do a job right, which I find is a really scary way to run a business. And, you know, within a three-month period working closely with this um, executive director, we put some infrastructure in place, and not a huge elaborate infrastructure, but a nice basic infrastructure where now these employees had absolute clarity on what was expected of them, how their contribution actually added to the organization as a whole, what happens if my contribution isn't made, how does that affect the rest of the business, um, what makes our business grow, what makes our business shrink. Understanding all of those things, there is now um, a much better engaged workforce that has dropped the employee relation issues that were coming up frequently back in the beginning of the year have pretty much died off completely. So for me, you know, experience-wise, this is what I like to do. I like to go in. I like to help these businesses um, put in some infrastructure, put in whatever needs to be done in order to get them moving in a forward direction. And, um, you know, if they're not calling me all the time, I've done my job. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they're growing and they're going to start hiring some more people. Eventually, these companies, I, I mean, I'm very honest with companies and I tell them what I hope for them is that um, they continue to grow so that at some point in time, I've now built a value of HR in these small companies feeling confident that when the time comes and when it's financially sound, they will have a centralized HR department because they truly now understand the value of a centralized human resource function um, and understand that it's not just pushing papers and filling out forms, that truly human resource, employee relations is a strategic business partner that needs to be recognized for its contribution in getting companies um, to where they want to be. And that is such a strong theme that we've talked about on this show so many times that HR has really moved from the transactional role to the strategic role. And uh, certainly every department has things that need to be done on a tactical or, you know, filling out forms, like you said. And uh, we will, uh, you know, so but you really move into that strategic area and then you're able to, to really contribute to the organization far more. So you know, I'm wondering, you know, on your LinkedIn profile, you stated that you know management and control of a company's human assets kind of directly impacts the productivity and bottom line. And you spoke a little bit to that with the example you gave, but maybe you could kind of speak to that, you know, why you really feel, feel so passionately about that statement. Well, I think uh, very often what I'm finding, and especially um, in middle management, the people managers in these companies, there is a significant lack of people management these folks are um, setting expectations in their mind, understand what the end game looks like in their head, but are not clearly identifying that to the folks that are sitting there in the office with them. Um, they're not delegating effectively. They're not managing effectively. And consequently, they're not getting the results. And then when they're reporting to their bosses, their CEOs or their business owners, uh, they're frustrated because the business owner can't understand why they're not seeing the results. And I think with effective management and with effective controls put in place in an organization, the proper infrastructure, you build a foundation so that people don't spend their work hours wondering whether or not what they're doing is the right thing. They spend their work hours focused on knowing what is the right thing to do. And that truly, I believe, makes the difference between companies that are successful out there and companies that are like uh, boats in a, in a day going around and around in circles and they can't ever seem to get anywhere. They're moving and there's processes going on, but there doesn't seem to be any progress. It's just around and around and around. So I truly do believe that management and control, being able to clearly manage people manage work processes effectively. And for a lot of managers, they kind of, there's a lot of resistance out there with middle-level management. So, I mean, I see it a lot in my clients. I, I don't want to baby, I don't want to baby someone. I am not their parent. I don't want to have to lollycoddle. I don't want to have to do this. And truly, 
um, it, I, I stand back sometimes and say, what do you think management is? What is responsibility <laughs> right. here? Right. The key to a manager's job is to manage work through other people. Just telling them to do it is not managing it. Um, that's just telling people to do something. So uh, that's why I truly believe that if we can educate managers to manage people effectively, um, to manage work through other people effectively, uh, we'd see a huge difference in American productivity, in American workers. Uh, we'd see a lot more engagement and not have to worry about whether they're bad-mouthing their supervisors on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. And I don't know how much if this story really is directly kind of correlates to what you're talking about, but you know, I woke up today and wanted to go start my car and the, the, the battery was dead or it finally would start a little bit and I knew it needed to be replaced. So I went down to the dealership and they gave me a ride back. And then when later on, that same guy picked me up uh, just before the show and I was talking with him. It was just him and I in the car and, and, and he kind of got on the topic a little bit. You know, I asked him if he was driving a lot and found out he's actually uh, not normally a driver, but he's was out hurt. So he's doing the uh, the driving. And so finally, he told me that he had been in an accident and all these different things, and he kind of seemed like he was angry about it. And I said, so it seems like there's something there, like, you know, you got a little something you're upset about. And he said, well, honestly, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm pissed at my manager. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, why is that? Well, because I got in an accident, and the first thing he did was hand me a thing for a drug test. He didn't even ask me if I was okay or not. And I just thought to myself, what a simple thing. That, that, mm-hmm. that at a middle management level, this is the kind of training, the kind of thing that they really have to do well. That simple thing of, hey, are you okay, would have made that, that employee ha- probably happy and far more productive for a very long time than whatever he's going to be now that he's upset and no one will probably ever know why he's upset. Um, it's those small things. It's not, it's not the strategic plan of a large company and it's not, you know, coming up with product development. It's just how do you treat people with kindness and respect and, and, and still care about their problems as a manager and make an impact on their lives, right? Absolutely, Chris. And, and you know, to follow, that was a great example. To follow up with, with what you're saying, I would imagine that that driver, um, if, if you were to ask him, would say, he's a satisfied employee. He works there. Um, he's filling in for the other guy. Um, you know, he's there. He's satisfied. But is he engaged? Is he truly engaged in that business? No, he's not engaged. And why isn't he engaged? Because the methodology by which he is being managed are not developing, as you said, that sense of collaboration and caring and you know, if you truly care about the people that are working in your organization, then you need to demonstrate that care, and you need to demonstrate um, and show that you are caring. Um, throwing money at someone is not necessarily showing them you care. Right. Uh, handing them a drug slip is certainly not showing them you care. <laughs> Granted, giving them a drug screen is probably a requirement under the policy. Yeah, he had no he had no problem with that. He said, "I understand. You got to make sure." But yeah, it was the you know, lack of all about the approach. Yeah, yeah, all about truly, the concern. Truly so you know, this kind of goes back into some areas uh, about cultural values, and, and maybe you could share with us kind of your feelings on you know companies stating those cultural values, and of course, then trying to live them and breathe them. Uh, I think it's very important. I, I don't care if you're a business with five employees and you're selling window blinds, or you're you've got five million employees. Um, and you're selling retail. I think it's extremely important that you as an entity and as an organization identify what is valuable to you um, as an organization. What are your values? What do you hold in highest esteem so that every person that comes into contact with your organization has a very clear understanding of what values are important to you, and it gives the candidates and the individuals who are considering, uh, you know, working with the company, the opportunity to say, do my personal values, do my personal um, beliefs fall in the same line with this organization? When you truly don't know what the cultural values are of an organization, um, you've got a 50-50 shot. You go in, you work for them a while, how many times do we end up losing good talent because the person has a completely different personal philosophy than that of the organization. It was never even discussed. 
Maybe, do you think there are kind of key elements to that, though, to really that you try to encourage your clients yeah, okay. to deal with? To, you know, to, to, to defining a good culture. Kind of, you know, obviously there are different uh, things they might say. One company might value one thing versus another. But do you think there are key elements as a, in, in constructing that uh, sort of cultural plan or cultural values or, you know, stated values to their, to their employees? Absolutely. I think, you, you know, what I do with, with my clients is we first um, identify whether or not um, there are specific values. So let's say customer service is a specific value for a medical client. Maybe providing um, the highest quality of care is a, is a value. So we talk specifically about values, identify maybe the top three to five values of the organization from there. I like to lead them through an exercise where we talk about what is the purpose and the mission of the organization. Why are we in business? Yeah, you've said you value care and you value service and you value these things, but why exactly is the company in business? What is the end goal? Do you want to be the best, you know, doctor's office in California? What, what is it that you want? What is the end goal? And from those two things, from identifying the value, identifying the purpose and the mission of the organization, um, the culture comes together, uh, for me, very quickly. Because then you look at what you are um, your processes, your procedures, your infrastructure, are all of those things in alignment with the values that you've stated? Are they in alignment with the purpose of the organization? Are they in alignment with the mission of the organization? If they are, everyone's moving forward in the same direction. No fragmenting and people jumping out off the sides because they don't really know what, what's going on. Everyone is focused. Everyone is moving ahead together. And it gives you a very nice benchmark, I also believe, as things change and as you face new challenges in the organization, um, you benchmark it and you say, does this support the value? Does it support the culture? If it does not, why are we spending dollars and time on it? Um, let's spend dollars and time and effort and energy on those things which support those values and support that culture in order to drive us forward. Do you think that there are maybe certain things that employees, good employees that are valuable to the to the company are kind of looking for uh, when they're coming in the door? I think they're looking for clarity, number one. Employees, um, I, I can't stress enough to my small business clients that a true and honest onboarding program or orientation program is critical to the success of that new person you just hired, which can be very expensive. You go through the process of finding a candidate with the right knowledge, skills, and ability. You interview. You bring these people in. It's a costly process. They get there the first day, and suddenly the first impression they have of this organization is nobody knows what they're doing. No one can answer a question. I didn't get a handbook. I don't know where they're going. They just stuck me in front of a line somewhere and said, here, look at Joe here. He'll teach you how to do it. Those kinds of things, I think, can absolutely be detrimental when you are bringing new talent into an organization. So I think an employee looks for that, that key organization. When they walk in the door, are they being treated professional? They were told as a candidate, be professional, interview professionally, give professional answers. And when they walk in on that first day, um, I believe a company is obligated to provide a professional your first impression is the most important. Sure. And if if you don't get that first impression, I think it, it puts doubt in an employee, a new employee's mind. I think it, um, I th so I think they look for that. I think they look for a work environment that is open to possibilities, that they are believing that they're going to be able to use their skills, their knowledge. They are going to be given the opportunity to demonstrate that knowledge and skills. Uh, freely, I think adults look for empowerment in an employer. Mm -hmm. um, having the employer say, I believe you are qualified. You know, you interview someone and say, well, you're qualified to do the job. They get into the job and suddenly they're not allowed to make a decision um, mm -hmm. after you've just told them that they're qualified to do it. That's, <laughs> uh, I think, another turn off. Yeah. Um, employees need to feel that they're empowered. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great point. We're almost out of time here, so I want to make sure we ask you our. One of our favorite questions, uh, and that is, what are you reading right now? I am actually rereading for the second time uh, Patrick Lencioni's Death by Meeting. 
Death by Meeting. It sounds like a book I need to read because I am. It is. It is a great, I encourage everybody out there listening, um, pick up a copy of this book. Um, I have a client who has had huge struggles with um, business meetings, not having any kind of productivity. Their employees are disengaged. And so um, I have encouraged them to pick up the book, and I'm rereading it so that we can talk about it um, when I get back from the SHRM conference in Orlando. But it's a great book, and um, he's very astute. I like I like Patrick. Um, I've heard him speak at some conferences and um, like his approach very much. So how can people uh, reach you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your your consultancy and uh, uh, and CalSherm? Well, for CalSherm, uh, we are on the web at www.calsherm.org. And for anyone that wants to get a hold of me, I am also on the web at www.letiziahrsolutions.biz, B-I-Z, and all of my contact information is there. I have a toll-free number if you're outside of my area code, and would be happy to talk to anybody, Chris. And if anyone needs it, it's L-E-T-I-Z-I-A, in case uh, you're... Uh, spelling spelling challenge like I am. I need to need to have it out there. So, uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. I'm sorry we didn't get to get more talk about what your work you're doing with Cal Sherman. We can have you back and we can talk just about that uh, and get an update on what you're doing. Uh, but we really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much, Chris. I would enjoy that. You have a good day. You too. And Christina Davis is coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting talenttalkradio.com. You can also check out uh, octalkradio.net and click on the Shows tab and, uh, of course, click on Talent Talk. Uh, in the time that the shows existed, we've amassed a huge following and we're just proud, very, very proud of that. Uh, we've set up well over 27,000 uh, people kind of downloading the podcast and listening to our show each week and uh, we are just uh, over the moon so thank you my next guest is uh, Christina Daves the president of Casmatic Designs and founder of uh, PR for Anyone uh, don't forget you can tweet your questions live right now for Christina by sending them to at peopleg2 and using that hashtag uh, talent talk so Christina welcome to the show Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here. So, I, uh, in an unusual fashion, I actually met Christina last week in New York. <laughs> um, we had a guest at the last minute that uh, had a family emergency, and so we asked Christina to jump in uh, now instead of in a couple months when we had her scheduled. 
Uh, and so I was uh, immediately impressed with her. We both were at a uh, an awards banquet, uh, and because I'm going to mention her, I can mention myself. I won't feel too guilty. We were both honored as rule breakers uh, in New York um, for for some of the things we're doing, and it, uh, we're going to talk about what she's doing with her company. And uh, the reason I got it was for having this radio show. So it kind of all interesting how it all kind of came together and, and correlates here today on the program. But uh, maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, uh, your you know, really cool products that you're doing with uh, Casmetic. Yeah, so I um, kind of had several businesses over the years, and I had owned a retail store for almost 10 years with uh, my best girlfriend, and anyone who's listening who's had brick and mortar, it, it just gets tough, especially Thanksgiving to Christmas, and my kids were young, so I was like, okay, I'm at a good age, I'm going to retire. Well, always the entrepreneur, retirement didn't sit too well for me, right. um, and I had a freak accident on vacation where I broke my foot and ended up in this awful awful black medical boot of course I waited three weeks before I went to the doctor makes it a little bit of a better story and um, he put me in the boot the day before I was going to New York on on a business trip and I thought I am not going to New York City in this awful boot you know there's got to be something on the market that's going to make it look better and what I found is that there was nothing on the market and there are actually four million boots prescribed every year wow so that kind of got me on my way with creating this company that makes those awful, awful boots fashionable. And that, that's a, it's just a fantastic idea. And I know you had some of those there to, to show everyone at the awards banquet. Yeah. Uh, and so people can imagine, you know, I don't know how you would describe it. I kind of described it as, uh, you know, kind of making it more fashionable, maybe more, more a little more bling. Uh, um, you know, you had some, certainly some different types and different styles, but those big, black, ugly kind of uh, boots and my kids have had them for for different injuries over their sports yeah. injuries over the years uh i can imagine they would have preferred a batman one or uh you know a, something a little bit more fashionable yeah just anything i say just totally changes the face of recovery because if you're in that boot if you've ever been in one people stare at you they're like oh gosh what happened well now they look at you and say oh my gosh how cute what a great idea like it just totally changes the tone and and that whole period while you're recovering so you're not so instead you can talk about the boot uh, instead of talking about why you hurt yourself or what dumb thing you did to to get hurt <laughs> so you know as we we mentioned you you were awarded a, as a rule breaker and what do you think uh maybe we could talk a little bit about why you think you are a rule breaker and why you were given that award yeah well i think you know i i kind of created this space in the marketplace which has its own struggles in itself, which I didn't realize until after I had created this product. Um, but I think that that makes me a rule breaker. I, I even have doctors who say, oh, we wish we could get you on our insurance for compliance, you know, because it's, you know, the boots are removable. Casts in the olden days, you couldn't cut your own cast off. But now they're putting people in a boot instead of a cast, and they really don't have to wear it. So if you make it fun, you're kind of breaking the rules of medicine. It's supposed to be this, you know, you're supposed to follow this strict format. And instead we make it fun, and guess what? Then they really are following their their strict format of, of wearing the boot the whole time. Yeah. And you, you've started to see success. You, and are you you're still kind of seeing some barriers there that, you know, to, to getting in with the insurance or to the manufacturers, things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, all entrepreneurs have their stories. There's no such thing as, you know, the the easy ride to fame. Um, But, yeah, you know, doctors love it, but doctors don't want to sell it. Doctors are doctors. They don't they don't want to do retail. Mm-hmm. So it's again another barrier. You know, how do you get that right to the people right when they really need it? I know you kind of recognized a problem. You saw there was a, a need in the market, or at least it was a blank canvas there, which is Always a good uh, place to start uh, when you want to start a new business. So you work to create something that has taken off, and along the way, however, you, you had to learn about PR strategy. So can you talk a little bit about some of the bumps you had towards success and how you overcame it? Yeah, well, that was, and I mentioned that briefly. So when you create a whole new concept in the marketplace, what I never thought of was nobody's even looking for this. I need to educate the population that this product even exists. 
And after having gone through, you know, manufacturing, and of course, you always spend more than you think you're going to spend, I really didn't have any money left, any resources to hire a publicist to pay for advertising or marketing. So it was kind of a crash course in how am I going to learn how to do my own publicity. Uh, and it, it was kind of a do or die situation because I was sitting on all this inventory and I had to get the word out about this product. So I, I really taught myself everything I possibly could about gaining free publicity and had tremendous success and ended up in over 50 media outlets in the first year. And I'm well over 200 now, two years into it. Well, that's a great story. So I think you took some of those successes and you and experiences and you wrote a book, uh, PR for Everyone. What is kind of the main idea of the book and, and how has it been helpful to others? Yeah, so it's actually PR for Anyone and it's it's 100 plus affordable ways to easily create buzz for your business. And what I found when I was doing this crash course of publicity, I didn't have time to read 10, 200 page books. The books were great, but I, I just would needed to be a sponge for information. So my book is just tips, little short tips. You can go to page 52, you can go to page 84, and you'll find something you can implement right then and there. Mm-hmm. And then I also asked experts in the industry to kind of give me their tips and advice, but it's an easy, quick read. I do have some good funny stories in there, but you don't even have to read my funny stories to follow the book. You can just read the tips and implement and start seeing success. Sort of like a cookbook. You can just go to the part you want and... uh and, yep. and and get what you need. Yep. You can read from the back to the front. There's no no rhyme or reason. You can just really go anywhere in the book and say, oh, that doesn't really fit my business. Oh, I can do this. Great. Read the paragraph and just implement. Right. So as an entrepreneur, you obviously want a, you know, a certain type of, of culture to be prevalent in your, co- in your company. So, and culture can influence business decisions as well as the way your, your clients view you. So, what is the culture that you have established in your company now? My, and, and I have, I did this when we owned the store. I am such a firm believer that customer service is your best PR. Uh, we owned a retail store from 2002 and the store is still open today. So, right before the entire economy crashed and we survived because of customer service. And, and I'm shocked that people don't get that, that business owners don't get that. And we've watched businesses close left and right because of that, but that I am just a diehard on customer service. Yeah, and it really depends on the market. I mean, certainly with a retail type of an experience, um, really I think consumers have come to the expectation that they are going to get great customer service. And sometimes that isn't enough to get, you know, just because you have it doesn't mean that you're going to get their sale. But it has now become an expectation. It's no longer like how Nordstrom's was viewed as doing something special. Now it's just, well, I expect this stellar customer service. So right. you're right, in, in, in a, in, certainly in an economy where they have to make more choices and, and they're going to buy fewer things, you're definitely going to go where you're appreciated, definitely going to go where the experience is enjoyable, or at least the experience is what you expect. Um yeah, so, and we've seen that even in, in B2B play, um, it's expected. So those that are doing it are certainly falling by the wayside. Yeah. You know, how, how important do you think is the alignment of that culture of success in the business? You have, you have staff, you have your customers. You can certainly say, you know, hey, customer service is our number one or, you know, uh, making a difference or whatever that, that kind of cultural thing is that you've identified. But then it's got to be kind of aligned throughout all those different segments in your business. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you do that and if you think that's important. Right, a- Absolutely. And I will tell you, I-, I was speaking with a prospective client last week, and he said to me, okay, well, you know, what kind of a contract are you going to make me sign? You, you know, what, 12 months? And I said, you know, David, I want you to be happy. If you're not happy, I don't want you tied into a 12-month contract with me. And then, so I would rather you be thrilled and you tell the world how great I am and send me 50 new clients instead of me having you roped into something. And he, he was shocked by that. Um, same thing with Casmetic, you know, the, the stuff is, is mass-produced. Sometimes a flower falls apart. I can't tell you, you know, a customer will email me and say, I'm really disappointed. And I said, what's your address? I'll mail you another one tomorrow. And and they're shocked at this. But that's but then they're happy. And if somebody else they know breaks their foot, 
and they want to buy a product from me, they're going to remember the great experience they had doing business with me. Sure, sure. And that's really important. And sometimes people can look at the the small cost that something like a strategy like that can, can put in on your business, but they don't look at the long-term potential to that kind of response and that kind of uh, exposure and, and experience that the customer is going to have with you can really, really do for your business. Yep. It really, it really makes a difference. So how do you evaluate success then in your company now? Success for me is, is when I get when I hear other people's success stories with PR or I get an email from, you know, somebody who's been relegated to a boot, which, and I've gotten emails from people for years. You know, I, I designed this product thinking of the person like me who was in the boot for six to eight weeks. But there are, there are diabetics who are in boots permanently. And I get emails from, you know, women who said, I was always a fashionista, and then I ended up in this boot, and, you know, you've changed my life. You've you've brought me back to that. You know, you've brought joy and fun and fashion back to my life. That That's success for me. Oh, that's a great story. And I'm sure, I'm sure making sure your business is successful and profitable is, is in there, too. But, I mean, to get that kind of uh, feedback from someone who... Like you said, you didn't expect to be right. using a, a boot for a long period of time or permanently and, and to, to make such an impact on their life. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, of course, as you just mentioned, I mean, we're all here to have a profitable business. Mm-hmm. If we don't have a profitable business, we're not going to stay in business. Right. So that's, you know, what what do you do to get to that level and stay at that level? And I think, you know, happy, successful clients and customers get you there. So you know, you've had a couple of different businesses and different experiences, and you certainly sound like a, someone who's uh, always going out there and, and getting what they want. So do you think <laughs> that you have changed as a leader over time? And if so, maybe you can kind of describe what about, about some of those changes. I think you get more confident in your business. You know, I mean, certainly like when we opened a retail store, I had never had employees like that before, you know, that you would actually leave in charge so that there's definitely a learning curve um, but I'm, I'm more confident now in how I want my business to run and I I want it to to go a certain way and I'm always open for discussion and but but I just have more more confidence and more authority I guess in in knowing the right direction that we need to be going in hmm. and that's a I just kind of was thinking about my own experiences while you were saying that and you know, certainly, I don't think my confidence level has changed over time. But the amount of informa- the amount of information I have access to now, and the, the different variables that are there, as opposed to when I started my business, I often think I just I'm just going to resort back to what's simple. You know, because sometimes there's just now I I know like way too much now, where I didn't right. know anything before, and that was almost right. like better back then, not knowing any better. Um, that I wasn't supposed to do this thing. I'm not supposed to you know, go knock on this, someone's door. I'm not so you know. So sometimes that uh, early stage entrepreneurialism can be really, really a good mindset. I try to jump back into sometimes. But um, you're kind of talking about that confidence to truly really drive your business or to know what when you made a decision. Well, this is my decision, and and and, and to go with it and not maybe not worry about it at night and and just go to no, sleep and, and you will make decisions that are not the right decisions sure. but not to beat yourself up over it either that that's the life of an entrepreneur i mean the, like i said earlier there's no such thing as the skyrocket to success i mean there's there's bumps along the road and you need to learn from them and adapt and i was like an entrepreneurship to a pinball game mm-hmm. you know the ball kind of bounces all over but eventually you get to the top but you you've got to work your way up there yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, as someone who's had uh, quite a few businesses and has even written a book, I'm wondering if uh, maybe you're reading a book right now that are the your fellow entrepreneurs and CEOs and HR people that are listening today might uh, check out. You know, I'm actually getting ready to go to the beach, and I'm putting together all the books that I've started that I haven't finished yet. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, Jab Jab Jab. Jab, right. jab, left, right, hook, hook, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, that's on my list. Um, Michael Malkovich's The Pumpkin Plan is on my list. Yep, good book. Um, I just got the new Simon Sinek book, Leaders Eat Last. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the three that are on my, my summer beach reading list. I'm going to have to add the uh, Leaders Eat Last uh, uh, to my list. 
Simon has uh, always been a really big inspiration. He's a, a great writer, and I really have modeled some of the things that we've done uh, with kind of his thought process into why and culture and everything. So yeah, so one of my favorite books, Start With Why. Yeah, Start With Why is, uh, is, is really, really good. So I'm going to have to add, well, definitely add that one to my list, uh, my very long list. I'm going to be going to the river for a week in July, and I have so many books to read. I'm wondering if I even try to take them all, maybe just take one and, and really try right. how to get through it. So. <laughs> I, uh, we don't typically do the beach or, or, you know, anything too relaxing in my family. It's vacation means how do we go from being incredibly busy to go to be incredibly busy somewhere else? Oh. <laughs> um, that whole beach thing usually lasts about a half a day until we all go, we are so bored and we would just want to go, you know, dig a hole, go scuba diving, whatever. I mean, it's, it, that, I don't know, that just seems to be our DNA, but. I know a lot of people enjoy trying to get that downtime in there. <laughs> yeah, we we do one week a year, and it it definitely works. I've got kids who play travel sports all year round, and yeah. everybody they just we love our week off. Yeah, yeah, we love our week off, but we just find other sports to play, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, how do you encourage others who work for you uh, to maybe develop their own talent and and become better? You know, with the work they're doing, it sounds like you've you've been successful in being able to develop yourself to to motivate yourself. But then when you start bringing in people in the door, you have to get them to do that same thing to be a kind of, uh, or else they may, maybe you might feel disconnected to them. So, you have any suggestions for our listeners in that area? Yeah, one one of the things I'm always encouraging is is constantly learning. You know, if I get a great article or you know, great video or something that, you know, I I have someone who handles a lot of my social media. We do a lot of it together. But if I see some great tip for, you know, improving our social media, I will send that to her. Um, You know, anybody who, yeah, who works with me, anything that can make their job easier, um, you know, technology is constantly changing. So we really, we really have to be constantly educating ourselves. So I really encourage that, really encourage, you know, finding people to follow, mentors to follow you know, blogs, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's great if people are going to be willing to do that because that's one of the best things they can do to really impact the company, improve their own career, uh, is to continue to learn. You can't always get people to do that. Um, one of the things that I picked up from a mentor of mine, uh, Kim Shepard, is I actually sent out a quote every day to all my staff. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's poignant and, you know, what's going on. Some, But um, it, it amazes me different quotes will resonate with different people. And that seems to kind of trigger them sometimes then to want a little more. And so the next time I send out an article or I send something out, they maybe they, they've started to think a little bit. You know, but if you can get people to do that, I think you're, you're absolutely on track. That, that If they're willing to learn uh, something new, even has nothing to do directly with the business, just to think in a different way, just to approach things in a different way, it has such... A huge impact on that person and in your business overall. Yeah, and if they see me doing it too, it's, I, I always—I mean—I practice what I preach in in every aspect of my business, and I think that helps a lot too. So I, I'm wondering if there was uh, you know someone in your life that maybe was you kind of feel like you know really paramount to you being the entrepreneur and the person that you are uh, that maybe had a big impact on you either early in your life or early in your career or, or something like that interesting that you asked me that because we just met a week ago, but um, I actually went to college and was a double major in political science and German. I had an entire career path planned out in international business. I had a job in Germany. I was, you know, getting my papers in order. I mean, I was ready to go look out Europe. Here I come. And my father was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And that is a horrible, very fast cancer, and especially back in the early 90s. You know, there was no internet, there was no research, there was, you know, nothing you could do back then. Mm -hmm. But to have my father pass away at such a young age, and my sister was a freshman in college, and she wanted to drop out of school, and so I, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave my family. And that really changed my life. A, a couple friends were starting an event planning company and they said, you know, it's two guys and they said, hey, you know, we want a woman's touch. Why don't you come work with us? And I was like, oh, that sounds like a no-brainer. You know, I'll just party for a couple of years <laughs> to like kind of figure out what I want to do with my life. Right. And ended up, 
we threw, you know, huge events down in Washington, D.C. with 10,000 people. I mean, this ended up being a pretty big business, and and everything has evolved from, from that, that first business, and it's just progressed into where I am now. And so, and so you think your, your, your father and, of course, those events then really had a big impact on, uh, on that, on who you are today? Oh, absolutely, because I went from one business and then I got married, and I, I went to work for my partner's father. I thought, oh, I needed to have a you know respectable job. I'm married. <laughs> I wanted to have kids. Right. And he taught me all about land development, and then I left. I kind of found a niche market in that and started my own business. Um, and then when we opened the store, we there were a lot of land development issues, and I had all the contacts in the counties so I could get our driveway done, all the things we needed to do, get a rezoning. Everything just fell into place. Right. So, yeah, just um, – but, yeah, I mean, that um, – sadly, regrettably, that's what changed my life, but that's also why I am where I am today. Right. Well, we've uh, really, I've really enjoyed uh, hearing your story and getting to know a little bit more about you. Uh, if people are interested, uh, maybe they – recently fell down on their skis or, um, you know, have done something they shouldn't have done. How do they find out more about uh, the Casmetic Designs? Casmetic is a um, really fun website, www.healinstyle.com. Healinstyle.com. Yep. Uh, fantastic. Well, um, really appreciate, again, you being on the show. We'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on uh, how you're doing. And, of course, if you start another business, we want to hear about that as well, which I think might be in your future. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, don't have a crystal ball here, but the evidence says maybe you might do that again yeah, maybe, at some point. Maybe. Right. But, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thank you. It was a really wonderful time. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, Mike Letizia and uh, Christina Davis. Tune in next week at the same time at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to hear Rhonda uh, Hankey, CEO of uh, Bright Path Advisors, and uh, Jay Hathow, uh, uh, SVP and CIO of SCS Engineers. Well, that's a lot of acronyms, but we'll have them both on the show next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping their clients with all their people-related decisions.